Hello and welcome to YHTV's Trinity of Life. This is episode 41. I'm Christina Suzuma, your host of this program. Thank you so much for joining me again as I continue to explore the wonderful world of healing arts, meditation, therapies, and the many modalities of helping us find balance in our individual journeys. We're always excited to meet those who are on the leading edge of creating change on this planet. At any time during this live presentation, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment by scrolling down in your screen and typing it into the comment box in where I would read it to our guests. Or if you prefer to dial into our conference line, it is 323-476-3672. And the ID is 607393-POUND if you prefer to ask the question yourself. Our guest today is an individual who has been part of the Yoga Hub family since 2011 Virtual World Yoga and Meditation Conference, where he kicked off the conference by teaching us how to create a perfect space to learn at our fullest capacity. He strives to support others to create balance in their lives through their surroundings. I am very excited and very honored to introduce to you Bhaskar Deva, a master in the art of feng shui and vastu shastra, which is a new one for me. <laughs> Hello, Bhaskar. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Christina. So, Bhaskar, this is, um, I'm excited because, you know, being part of Asian descent, you know, we've heard about feng shui most of our life growing up, and, you know, we have interesting things that we could and could not do, where some people would say it's superstition and some people would mm -hmm. say it's other things. So so it's always been a little bit within my lineage. Well, it's interesting because I always think of superstition as doing it without understanding the full understanding, the full background behind it. And then mm. if you don't know why you're doing it, but you're just doing it because you were told do it this way, then it becomes superstition. Mm. So I like to give people the larger understanding so that you can do it with under, with mind, with heart, and then it becomes so much more powerful than rather to do it just because you were told to do so. Yes. I think as children, it's uh, it's almost like just do it. You know, the very, very Chinese sometimes. Just do this. You just have to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no, they, they don't want to take the time to explain it, or uh, they may not know the full explanation because they or were just told to do it just the same, you know? Right. And sometimes, and, I learned that way. That was like the method. And to me, it's like, okay, just do it that way. This is like the old school, much slower way of learning, but much more powerful is that you just do it. And then you meditate on it and you find in your own heart what the true meaning is. But you have to be a, a keen student to do that. And I, uh, for many years was frustrated trying to, well, why, why are you doing this? And finally I stopped asking outside and started looking inside. And then I started receiving the answers. So. Oh, that's magnificent. Now that's a whole nother way of learning, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's the old way. Yes. Slow, but very powerful. It's mm. not like we want everything instant nowadays. You know, everything's instant. So this takes years and years as the old mentoring style. Mm. Mm, oh, so this is uh, okay. Before we we even get into that, what 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 it, can you give us a little bit of your background, like where you originally from, and how you ventured into this whole world, this whole art form? Well, I um, 
started, I became a monk when I was 18 at um, Satchitananda Ashram. And during that time that I was living at the ashram, 17-year period, oh my goodness. I, uh, we had a thousand-acre community that we bought with just the one house on it. And while I was there, we built schools and homes and community centers and fire stations and airports and everything to be a self-reliant community. And during that time, I would like work with Swami Satchitananda and he would say design, you know, work. I was in charge of uh, development. And so we would design say, okay, the next project is like the community center, which is like the kitchen, meeting hall, uh, multi-purpose rooms, many different aspects. And so, and you'd say, okay, put it like this, have it in this direction and mm. do it like this. And then there was never any room to ask questions. Mm. And, um, but, uh, so it was a little frustrating at first because I was so eager to find out why, why is it like this? And he would just say a few little things. And then it was like really took me years and I studied with other people. And then you say, Oh, now that, you know, it's like putting a, a puzzle together. Yeah. But once you figure out those pieces, you never forget them, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and so you have them the rest of your life. And it's very powerful that way. My goodness. I, I, you, you say that you were 18 and you became a monk. I mean, that is the yeah. prime of a young man's <laughs> life. Uh, you know, 17, 18, you're just sort of like, well, for most people coming out of high school and, and just, you know, finding yeah. your own. You know, I was, it was, I was already a vegetarian and I was just drawn to this path. And um, oh. all I can say is past lives because it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that funny how things like that work out it's like oh my goodness okay so so you were really yeah, it sounds like a lot of past life here um so you were completely immersed in all this um and so as you were learning these sort of placements um you you studied outside as well with different masters on the different techniques? No. After 17 years, and I decided I wanted to, like a teenager, move on to other things. And I started studying the Chinese feng shui mm -hmm. and um, with Professor Lin, who's uh, considered a great master uh, in the Tibetan black hat school. And when I started studying there, and then I was still connect connect to such a Dananda from the community and I started putting it all together and uh, that's how I started then started teaching others saying when I realized this huge amount of information I had already learned but from experience but didn't know exactly some of the wording and the details of it so then mm. I was able to put it together mm -hmm. um, now, so uh, with the feng shui uh, that end of it. I mean, was there a lot of um, differences that you could see? Well, I was, I was, that's what people always ask about the difference. Like the Indian way is Vastu Shastra, right? And I believe like that it's much older, and the history is that it moved. Like things travel with monks, particularly they traveled from India into to, into the Himalayas, into the mountains and the caves, and then over into China. And then, of course, it gets modified as it, as time goes on because there's that great barrier of the of the Himalayas, so that you you know you don't always have the easy communication. 
Mm-hmm. So, but when people talk about the differences, uh, they generally focus on the small differences. And I like to focus on the similarities. Mm. To me, it's like food. You have the basic ingredients, which, you know, like you can make a chapati or you can make a, a tortilla or you can make a crepe. It's all very similar and the ingredients may be just a little bit different, but most of it's the same. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, spices, seasonings that are different. And that's the cha- That's the difference. Not to get focused on the differences so much, but I like to focus on the similarities. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a lovely way to put it. So it doesn't confuse us as much. <laughs> it's very confusing. Most people find that learning Vastu or Feng Shui, um, that the more you learn initially is that you get more confused, which is unlike other studies where normally the more you read about it, the more clarity you receive. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because it's like in the South, when they say the door should face North, uh, like in South Southern India, ideally it's ideal to have your door North or Northeast, East, because it brings in the cool air. And in China, where it tends to be quite cold, you would want your door facing south to bring in the warm air. So if you don't have the grander understanding, you just say, have your door south. And then this other school says, have your door north. And you're just going like, well, what do I do, north or south? But if you have the the clarity of why these things are ideal, then it's much easy. It's easy to understand it. And you can say, oh, well, that totally makes sense. So that's what I try to do is empower people to have that baseline understanding so then they can say, well, this feels right to me. And so I'm going in this direction rather than just to do things um, by what someone says. I mean, I've met mm. people who say, oh, you know, I loved my house and it felt so good to me. And then I read this book and now I think I should move. You know, that's to me, it's like, oh, my God, it's terrible. <laughs> you, know? you know, if you loved your house, that says so much right there. And then because you got a piece of a puzzle that doesn't mean that you should move at all, but, you know, you should have a, hopefully a bigger understanding. Mm, that's lovely. I, I, um, you know, the, a lot of times with the, the Chinese, the feng shui is so important that, you know, if the monk comes in and he says, this is the placement here and here, everything moves as such, whether right. you like it or not. It, you know, because that's the belief. It's like you need to have it exactly the way it should be to make the movement go, et cetera. So that's uh, and there's different schools. Some schools base it upon the breadwinner, usually the male, um, birthday, but that's no longer the case anymore. So it's now you know uh, cooperative. Many times the there's two people earning money. So why should you base it on you know one person versus two people? So it lends on that astrology. So it, it makes it more challenging in modern times, you know, like in many of the Vastu texts, it talks about where your cow, uh, food, the storage of your cow food should go. And this is obviously we've changed so much in the last hundred years that all these for thousands of years makes what, what, what did make sense isn't even applicable anymore in our daily life. So. Wow. So that, that must be quite a shift for you then to try to, sort of create the balance back. Well, that's where I think if you have the understanding, initially the foundation, then mm-hmm. you move into modern times from how it feels with that. Otherwise, if you just follow the ancient ways, 
you're missing pieces. And if you're missing pieces, then again, you're not back into the wholeness of what the original experience was about. Oh, amazing. So, so as you, as you travel through these past 30 years or more, um, you know, with this expertise, uh, do, do, is there one that you tend to gravitate more towards than the other? Well, like, again, I mostly see them similar, so I don't say one or the other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, for example, when, when I go into a house, I don't look for the so much for the small details. Is the lamp in the right position or something like that? I, I try to find what the, the overall message of that house is. So is that what is that house telling me? Is that house reflecting the, um, a great deal of information about the people living there? Is it because the more ideally we're so busy nowadays, we want, when we go to our home, we want to recharge. We want to be nurtured. Many times people live in such like a more almost like an office where it's like a beehive rather than a nurturing, recharging place. And so it's very important that your home reflect who you are. The more it reflects who you are, the more it's charging to your own experience. For example, if you go into a hotel, which is very generic, it may seem fine and you can rest, but it's nothing like resting in your own home. So at least hopefully. So if your home is a peaceful place, if you have a a good harbor, a place to rest, then you can weather the storm. No matter how big the waves are, no matter how much wind, it's like, I know I can only, I can stand this because in a little while, I'll be back and I'll be nurtured in my own home. I'll be out of the storm. But if you never have that place to rest, never have that safe harbor, when you go home, it's full of arguments and it's uncomfortable. Then it's like you're always being tossed in the world and it's so challenging. Okay, it's time to move my office. That's like <laughs> Can you imagine we used to have 12 employees running in and out of here? Yeah. And now well, the it's- other thing is that does your home reflect what you want in your life? Many times people reflect the past, you know, so they buy things of the past. But what about which direction you want to go in the future? Does mm-hmm. your home reflect what you what your aspirations are, what your dreams are? Does that is that a, a clear message in your home as well? Ooh. So many times people like they well, this is this was right then. Yes. Years ago. That's not who I am anymore. It's nice to have some reflection of the past, know where we came from, but it's also important to know where, what our dreams are and where we want to go. Because if we don't know where we're going to go, we'll never get there. I mean, it's much easier to, if you know where you want to go to get there than just to wander and hope that you end up in a nice place. Yeah. So. <laughs> Which we know a lot do that too, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that would be one of your recommendations is, is to, to keep things moving within the well, home yeah, as well. It's to keep things current, you know, so you have uh, a certain percentage of the past to nurture and, and give you that foundation, a certain larger percent of the present, and a certain smaller percent of the future where you want to go. Mm. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's like, if you have aspirations to travel, then you might have pictures of traveling. Or if you have aspirations, you're like, oh, I'd love to have a beach home. Then you might have pictures of that. Reminders. So that when you, you know, oh, this is, you know, when tough times come, because they come for everybody, 
this is why I'm doing that. I want, you know, you have pictures of your children. This is why I'm doing it because I want my children to have a better life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not just, you know, many times, sometimes I'll go into a home and I'll say, is this your kids? And I say, oh, yeah. And I say, well, how old are they? And they're like five years older than the last picture that I could see, you know? And so it's like, well, you need the current, you need the present there too. Oh, keep the presence in. Oh, that's, that's nice. I like that too. Um, and what about, uh, uh, you know, the, when you say keep pieces of the old there, I mean, I, I know that the clarity and cleanliness of a home also, you know, the creating that space, that air, being able to <laughs> shift through. Um, I, I see quite often, it's so funny because I have these friends have fabulous homes, you know, very clear, but you can't even open a closet because it's so packed. Right. You know, I mean, and does that make a difference? I mean, it's it, like... Of course, everything makes a difference. And of course, that makes a huge difference. So if we, many times what happens is we buy something which is right for that time mm-hmm. and then things shift, which is good. And then we say, well, you know, do I need this? Well, I don't know if I need it in the future or not. I'll put it in the closet mm-hmm. and store it there. Well, that's valuable real estate. We pay, you know, mortgage, we pay rent, whatever it is, we pay for that storage place. And that if we're not using something, then it anchors our energy into that old experience where we were then. And so it's very easy, very common because of the clutter that we gather that we're anchored into the past. And we're, we're like, yeah, these are the dreams. This is what I want to do, but I can't seem to move towards that direction because you're carrying, we're carrying all these anchors from the past, you know, and sometimes it's so funny. I go into people's home and I say, well, tell me about this piece here. And they say, well, I got this with my ex, you know, and I don't really like it so much, but, it, and, you know, and every time we look at something like that, if we're quiet, everything speaks to us, you know, and it has the story. Oh, this reminds me of my time when, you know, I was married to somebody else or I was with somebody else or, Hopefully, there's many things in our house that say, oh, I had a great time on my vacation and I bought this. Like, we love to buy uh, souvenirs when we travel because those anchor us into our experience of of our travel. Mm. So it's much like if we buy things, say, if we're traveling abroad versus buying them in a local store, with the, even though they're the same things, the ones we travel, we experience abroad has a story, a bigger story. So it makes more of a powerful experience for us. Mm-hmm. And when we're quiet and we're sitting next to anything, everything has a story. And so we can hear it and listen. And it's different for different people, right? So the question is, you know, are the stories that are being told to us all the time by having taking all those things into our house that we choose to, right, out of the thousands and millions of things that we see all the time and, and we can purchase, we choose a few things, we bring them into our home, and we keep them there. Are those things that were kept in our home, are they nurturing us? Are they telling us good stories? Mm-hmm. And it's really challenging when you talk about closets. I mean, we're constantly having to go through our closets and clear them out, and it's always challenging. And I'm not the best at it, but I keep trying uh, to make make sure that things don't build up. One of the, th- the rules that I think of is what I call my $100 rule. If it's a hundred dollars or less, then I may have say fifty things of a hundred dollars and less. I just those are the things that I can get rid of. 
you know, like out of the 50 things, maybe two or three are the things I may reuse again. <laughs> so rather than keep all 50, let those go. Let other people use those. Give them to charities. And if I have to buy those five things again, well, that's better economics because of the uh, anchoring effect. You know, that'll, that will free me in such a much bigger way that I'll have much more to be able to uh, travel or do whatever I want rather than hold on to those 50 things that 45 of them aren't going to serve me in any real way. Mm, mm. Oh, that I know that that is uh, something not easy for many people to do, you know, releasing a lot of the, just the pieces, you know, yeah. you know, you, you hear of people where, where their rooms and their spare rooms, you can hardly even open the door to. And things like that. <laughs> I've, been to many, I've been to many homes that way. And the thing is that we, it's an ongoing thing. So we can't think, okay, well, I'll take a weekend and do it. You know, we have to have put a little time aside like every week, every month, a maximum that mm -hmm. you say, okay, you know, okay, I'm going to just do this drawer. And it's not like, okay, or just do this closet. And it's not that, okay, now the closet's clean, but then there's bags of stuff in the hallway, you know, that, <laughs> yeah, that came out of the closet. <laughs> right. So if you, if you have the full experience, so say you have two hours, you set aside two hours. So an hour and a half, I'm taking this stuff to goodwill. I'm taking it to the charity. You know, it's not that it's, in the hallway, in the entrance to going out. It's not that it's in the trunk of the car. It's actually given away, you know, mm -hmm. and that gives us that free experience of like, it's an interesting thing. It's like one time I was clearing out this dresser and I ended up with a completely empty drawer and I felt rich. I felt wealthy and I thought, wow, I'm giving stuff away. Why should I feel wealthy? Because our normal sense of wealth is the more we accumulate, the more wealth we have. So here, I had given away all this stuff and I felt really wealthy. And I started thinking about it. And I said, wow, I am so wealthy that I, my dresser has a full drawer in it that <laughs> can come in. And, you know, it was like a whole different way of thinking. There's certain tribes like in North American Indians where they have the potlash, where mm -hmm. they, they're given respect by how much they give away. So the more they're given away, when they have a, a basically a party, they give everything away. They're considered the most respected people of the tribe. Mm. And then they gather things over the next few years, and then they have another party and give it away. And then they become back up to the top of the, the prestige of their tribe. So we kind of have the opposite. We think, you know, we're so inundated by, by this, by this, by so much media. This will make you happy if you only had this, um, that we tend to gather, gather stuff and don't really go through it and let go. I mean, it's wonderful that we have the opportunity to have the prosperity to buy so much, but it's also nice to be able to feel wealthy by giving and by not hoarding. Yeah, yeah, that's such a great point. So in our homes, that's your biggest recommendation is to keep things always current and keep moving, keep a flow going, like out with the old and in with the new. and. <laughs> something like that we you know there's a we want to find our own balance and sometimes it's challenging when we have different people uh that are more comfortable in letting go of things and more comfortable with holding on to a certain amount mm -hmm. so uh most people find that in a place that's more uh that's not cluttered not full is more comfortable 
and more productive and more, you know, able to be expansive. Whereas those that have clutter everywhere, I mean, I've been in places where they're hanging the chairs on the walls and because they have no more room and they brought more stuff in and oh, it's no. just so, it's just so full that, um, you know, you, you tend not to be able to be expansive. And that's where the real learning comes. The inward learning is when we're able to expand who we are. Right? So. Mm, mm, very nice. Um, it's, it's so funny, the balance, as you say, of, of what, what do you really keep and what don't you keep away from the things that we have to, like our tax documents, of course, you know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but now we're able to scan those in and at least keep them on, uh, you know, paper on computer chips and things like that, rather than have just so many boxes of, of papers that like we used to have. So yes. it's still, it's still challenging to keep it all, you know, to keep the paper trail and without having too much, but yeah, it's it definitely, it's definitely something that we need to focus on. But even, people, even with that, you know, you're back, you almost have to have triple backup in case something breaks. <laughs> You know, I mean, I'm sure you've run into that situation, too, with a computer. It's like suddenly today it's working, tomorrow it's not. You know, and it's like, okay, where's all my information, right? Right, yeah. You definitely have to have backup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. triple backup. So I still, I certain things that the accountants still say, no, hard copy still, okay, fine. Uh You know, and with the backup, okay, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you still need a certain amount. And I remember when we... When I first started using computers, you know, I would print everything out. Now I back things up so I don't print as much out. I don't have to do all that, you know, so it's it's improved. I mean, this still has a ways to go. Yes, yes. So uh, sometimes with families, like one person in particular needs to have feel like they need more things around them. Then sometimes I suggest, okay, that person may be in their office, you know, may be filled with clutter, but the rest of the house doesn't necessarily need to be that way. Mm. And uh, people even who tend to like all those things, like in their office, when they, they also like to have the quiet time. You know, it's like if we have a basket of laundry that hasn't been finishedly folded and we have magazines and we have this and that, they're all talking to us saying, you know, open this. To me, this is what I hear when I have a stack of magazines. You know, it's like, open this magazine up right now. There's articles in here that you need to know information that's important that will change your life improve who you are you know make your life happy and you're just letting it accumulate and pile up you know so it's hard to go into that room and just say i just want to you know be quiet and not and just think or just meditate or whatever and without having you know that half basket of laundry hasn't been folded oh i got to do this before i can rest or you know so it's all there talking to us all the time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh yes i uh that that I couldn't do. At least at least one at least one room for me definitely always has to be my little sanctuary, which is my bedroom. Uh huh. You know, all hell can break loose everywhere else, but not in my room. Thank you. <laughs> you know? That's very important because you actually spend more time in your bedroom than any other room in your house, right? So you spend almost like if you add up sleeping, getting dressed. Um, if you do watch TV, which I don't recommend, oh, but <laughs> reading, uh, other things that you do in the bedroom, 
making love, all those things, you add up all those things, that's almost a third of your life in the bedroom. Oh, yes, yes. It's, uh, that, so that, that is uh, the most important room because that's where we're healing during yes. the night. When we're resting, we're, our bodies are healing, our minds are free. You know, yes, yes, you can keep the clutter out of there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's very important, and that's great that you do that. So that way, at least... If you don't have a good night's sleep, it's hard to function during the day. Mm-hmm. If we have, if we're rested and, and recharged, it makes it so much easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so, so for the house itself, of course, it's just about keeping things, you know, like calm, but, uh, trying to keep things, uh, the closets clear, which again, as you says, that's helpful. Yeah. Um, what, what else could you recommend that could be simple for us to take on? On a weekly basis, <laughs> those magazines. Well, read yeah, me, read all, me. <laughs> <laughs> all those, all those things we have to, you know, choose. We have so much coming in, so that's why clutter is always a big issue uh, for most people because mm-hmm. we're inundated with, you know, uh, mail, fax, email. You know, all the things that keep coming in, and it's hard to keep it all in balance. You know, and now our, our even our uh, inboxes are getting so cluttered it's hard to keep up with it all. So, well, besides clutter, really the big thing is what is the message of your house telling you? Sometimes it's really helpful to have a best friend come over and say, well, what do you think? That's a little uh, a little dicey depending on how good <laughs> your best friend is. But if you want to keep is, them as a best friend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Another way is like when you've been away from your home, like you went on vacation, been away for a week or a weekend or a couple weeks. When you first come in, what do you see? What do you notice? How do you feel? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's really helpful because it's very easy for us to kind of blur things. So, oh, yeah, we see it then. And now it's like, oh, well, now I don't see it anymore. You know, and that's what we we'd like to be able to see these things that nurture us and make us uh, more whole, make us feel better. So the mm-hmm. more we can have around our home that nurtures us, that's the best. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. eliminate those things that uh, we don't really need and that uh, don't don't have the stories that we really want to listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very interesting. A person's home is so interesting, isn't it? I mean, some people just love the family photos and portraits from years and years ago, the baby photos, even though the kids are in college and, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's amazing. And then there's those of us like me that has maybe one or two pictures out. <laughs> the most well, recent it, school picture. It, what ideally is like someone coming into your home that's never been, we, we, our homes are sacred. Like when we first meet somebody, we say, oh, well, let's meet at the coffee shop or, you know, have some tea or whatever. And then once we get to know them a little bit more, then we say, well, why don't you come over and have tea or coffee or something at our home? Because by inviting someone into our home, it automatically reveals so much about that person Mm -hmm. rather than you can sometimes you can have a friend for a long time, a year, even more. And then you go to their home and you go, oh, now I understand so much more. Because we're all able to interpret the experience of our environments because we spend so much time all, you know, out in, in structures, in homes that, uh, we have a, a good 
experience of how that makes us feel. Mm, mm. So, Absolutely. Uh, we had a comment to come in, uh, Baskar. It says, uh, yes, so right. I always feel so free when my closets are free of unused items. Mm. Yeah. Now, you know, I have to say something. You know, I, I before would always clear all the old clothing, et cetera, shoes, et cetera, things like that. Until I became an actress. <laughs> that changed my whole world, of course. My world changed. Because you have to hold on to the older things. And then we're bringing things in, um, you know, for characters, for, you know, th- uh, uh, between shoes and clothing and, you know, playing older characters. So I would have the clothes for a 90-year-old, you know, things like that. And then I found the the whole closet or at least the spare room closet was just filled with all this wardrobe clothes and shoes and makeup and things like that it was hilarious i hated yeah. it but it was still had to be there you know <laughs> well that's that's like your work that that was part of your you know that's kind of like your office in a sense that was what you needed for your work but it's that should be it's good to keep that separate from your day-to-day life and keep that you know, more reflective of who you are but rather still, than reflective of a part you're playing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it was still like, oh, it felt like clutter. It's awful. Yeah, it's like it this, is. oh, it's like this way. <laughs> because a lot of it is other, you know, like secondhand clothes, things like that, because simply that's, that's basically what you yeah. needed to go out and do. But it was, it, uh, yeah, sometimes I open up that closet and go, what are you still doing here? <laughs> you know? Yeah, because they don't reflect you. They're not who you are. They're who you play or who you, you know, uh, may have a role of, but they're not who you think of yourself as. Yes. And so that's the challenge, you know. Um, so, Beskar, any uh, advice for people in their office? I mean, excluding our home offices, of course, because it is part of our home, but what what do you recommend for people in their offices well, or business? Yeah, one of the things that is very common they see is that people put their desk facing the wall mm-hmm. uh, because it creates you can put more desks in a room or you have uh, cubicles or things like that. So that's very challenging because when we're trying to expand our thinking, our experience, if we shrink our energy and we shrink our energy in a couple ways by doing that. One, if we're looking into a wall, it's like, you know, when we were little kids, we were told, you're bad, go go sit in the corner, right? Yes. Why, you know, we're, you're, you're climbing the walls, basically. Go sit in the corners. So it shrinks our energy down. It, it makes us slower. It, it doesn't, you know, whereas when we're bouncing off the wall, so to speak, we're like <laughs> creative in a certain way and more active. So. When we face right into a wall, and which is very common now with computer screens and everything, mm. so it's very challenging that way. But um, it it shrinks our energy. Mm. And then the other thing that happens is that our back is towards many times the door or the hallway or something of that sort. So then, uh, you know, we're all fairly sensitive. And even though we don't acknowledge it, we have our energy, our aura that's around our body. And when we feel any part of it being potentially to be startled or to be scared, 
like someone coming from behind and scaring us, we close down our energy in our back, right? So that we hopefully don't get scared so much or we don't get startled so much. We, we automatically move our energy towards our front when our back is, is exposed. Mm-hmm. And we want to be whole. We want to be full, radiant being. And when we start closing down any one part of us, we can't help but close down other aspects of who we are. So when our back is to the door, to the hallway, then we start closing down. So ideally, we want what we call the command position. So be able to see anyone coming into the room, into the area, and then we can relax and uh, try to move the desk so that we can have a... Uh, not necessarily directly against the window because we don't want to be outside. We want to be focused on our work, but at least be able to look like maybe off to the side and see, see something expansive and, uh, yet not feel that someone can come, come in and startle us. Mm. So those are a couple guidelines that are very helpful in the office. Now, what about really like small areas? Like if someone has a really small office, I mean, would, if you, if there was no choice to face the wall, what about using mirrors? Right. So that's an, what we call a cure. So if you don't have the option, then mm-hmm. next best is to do a cure. One cure would be to use a mirror so that when someone is walking behind or seeing, you, you kind of know, you feel their, the, you can see the movement and then you're aware that they're there. And so that's very helpful. So having mm-hmm. a mirror big enough that you can see what's going on behind you if someone's coming in is very helpful. But mirrors are very powerful and they also have their challenges. So if you put a mirror right in front of someplace and then you clutter it up, you know, because it's reflecting, then it looks like you have twice as much clutter, you know, so then that's not a great scenario. But uh, mirrors are very powerful, but they need to be used properly. Otherwise, the power can go in a negative way as well as in a positive way. Because that's the nature. That's a that's nature. You can make things stronger, but make sure it's stronger in the positive, not stronger in the negative. Mm. Mm. And uh, so. wh- what do you think about uh, uh, because you brought up the the idea of, about computers and about how they're in the room? Something came up where I know a lot of uh, uh, parents have their children's desks in their bedrooms. Mm. which then brings in, in this day and age, of course, the computers and, you know, they're usually, you know, the desks are usually against the wall and that's where the child has to do their homework, etc. I personally, I, for whatever reason, I, I've never felt comfortable with that. Um, so like my son does not have a desk in the room you know, or right. a computer. You know, I don't allow computers actually in the bedrooms. Yeah. It's, uh, this one home, I thought they, this uh, couple did a great job. There was two boys, and instead of having two rooms, one for each child, they put both boys in one room and put two desks in the other room. Oh. Uh, you know, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, when they work, they work together, and then when they sleep, they sleep together. So if you have the same gender, you know, or depending on the age, you can do something like that as well. And so that can be really helpful. Ooh. But it, it is a challenging thing. And even most desks nowadays don't even, aren't even finished on the backside. So if you move the desk, it doesn't even look good, you know? So you have to put something in front to make it look okay. Or you have the wires, you know, uh, making a mess. So it is 
a very challenging situation, but it can be done with some, hopefully, in many, many times. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, do, do you feel that, that um, uh, uh, it, it takes effect on the person when it's a place of rest and work? Yeah. Well, this, this is what I call the subtle energy experience. You know, um, subtle energy that's constant is one of the most powerful things that affect us in our life. Mm. So, for example, when water um, is running on stone, we think that stone is uh, so strong and so hard, yet we go to the riverbed and we <laughs> see how water constantly moving over a long period of time carves stone i mean you pick up a stone and you pick up water and you go how is that possible but yet we know it because we experience it all the time mm-hmm. it's like when you're flying an air or when you're in an airplane and there's a a, a crosswind if you don't make the mag you know the compass correction that to take that into effect if you're flying from new york you end up in la instead of san francisco <laughs> it it has a huge effect on us and if we don't take that into account it will affect us in a big way. So subtle energy that is constant is more powerful than so many things that we think of. We don't, Mm. to me, we don't give it enough due. And our home, being that we spend even a third of our life in the bedroom and hopefully, you know, we're spending time in our home as well. Our home has so much power on us, you know, affecting us because it's of the subtle energies. I like to think of it as an instrument. And sometimes an instrument, you know, even a great musician playing a uh, not a great instrument, but if it's well tuned, you still have a beautiful harmonious melody that comes out. Mm-hmm. But a, a great musician playing and even a, a great instrument, but if it's not tuned, it doesn't matter how good the musician is, it's not going to sound good. You're going to have disharmony. You're going to have a chord, you know, rather than that. So that's what. Sometimes we have, we have to look at our instruments, and there's something that I saw one time. I said um, architecture is like frozen music, and I was thinking about that, and I thought, wow, it's not frozen. It's more like a thawed music, you know, because <laughs> it's like it's like a drum. It's like an instrument that that is being played all the time that we're hearing on a subtle level that we're experiencing on a visceral level that's affecting us. And mm. how can we tune our home how can we adjust it to make it be such a beautiful music that comes from it and so that's kind of our challenge and it's um that's it's helpful to have someone who has that understanding that experience to come in and to help us Mm -hmm. with that but Mm -hmm. we can do it ourselves as well Mm. and you know at least to a certain level but i really you know i know that uh, for example, if you want to read a book and you take that book and you go into a bar and you try to sit down and read a book, you're going to have a challenging time. You could say, I have really good willpower. I can even read a book in a bar. You can say, that's fabulous. You have good willpower. But eventually, hours go by, it's going to erode your strength and you're going to be distracted by mm. the ongoings that happen in a bar. Now, you take that same book, same person, you walk across the street and you go into a library. You can sit for hours and comfortably read. So what's the difference? They're both buildings. They're both the same person, same book, but the environment is different. And Mm -hmm. when you have that different environment, 
then um, it either nurtures you. It's like paddling upstream. Either when you're paddling upstream, like in the bar trying to read the book, it's very difficult. When you're paddling downstream in a library trying to read the book, it's easy. And we can make adjustments in our home that because it's shifting from paddling upstream to downstream, little um, shifts can make a big difference if we're able to turn kind of turn the current on what we're trying to do, what we're trying to experience in life. Mm-hmm. As long as, as long as the shifts are continuous, basically. It's well, like they, they need to stay it's... current with who we are at the moment, at, you know, in our present time, because we're always shifting, right? We're always, we're different than mm-hmm. we were when we were a child, when we were in school, when we were, you know, on our own, all these things, we keep shifting and changing economically as well as mentally and emotionally. So as all these things keep changing, we need to have our environment change with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I think part of uh, some of the struggle is also, depending on what generation it is as well, you know, um, I know with my parents' generation, you know, coming from the war, you know, they saved as much as they could um, yeah. from glass bottles, you know, recycling, things like that. Uh, to foil pans and et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, oh, one day we'll have use for it. One day we'll have use. You know, it, it's that consistent story. Right. And also the people that lived through a depression or through economic hardship, mm-hmm. It's which is interesting. So that really reflects. So one is uh, embracing what we learned in depression, what we learned as scarcity, and one is embracing abundance. So if we feel we can get allow things to come and go, then we and we'll, we've always been taken care of, then we have the experience of abundance. If we feel that we need to hold on to everything that comes, then we have the experience of shortage. Mm. Mm, that's a nice way to put that, Baskar. I like that. Um, that's what I'll attempt to share with others. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so, but people that come from that generation, it's very difficult to make that shift. It is, it is. It's like, but I, you know, even for myself, I know about, uh, 15 years ago when I was about to move, I had these huge boxes and boxes and boxes of bottles. <laughs> every kind of bottle you can think of. And I mean, I, I look back upon that now and I kind of give it a great laugh. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, um, you know, like, what am I going to do with all these bottles? You know, and in the end, I did move it from one house to the next house. And then it all went in, you know, when recycling started, you know, here in Los Angeles, that I could start putting them in the recycle bin because it was bottled. I swear to you, at least a dozen boxes of bottles. Wow. Everything oh. from jam, peanut butter, you know, all the bottles, you know, that I could yeah. save. Well, you learn that from your parents. So we, you know, we learn from, and that childhood learning is so deep. And, you know, we have to many times uh, look at what we're doing and say, okay, this is, I want to change my pattern. Because once it becomes a pattern, it's more challenging to shift. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, Baskar, I have with me here, I don't know if I can show you. Can I show him? One of those uh, uh, Bakwa mirrors. Uh-huh. Do you know? And and I, I just wanted to show our audience here. Now, this mirror, um, the Bagua mirrors are, they're all eight-sided, right? Octagons, correct. Octagons. And then um, they do have 
writing inside. I cannot read Chinese, so I can't even tell you what it is. But this one that I have in my hand, which I had I had never seen before, was it's concaved. The mirror is uh-huh. concaved, and mm-hmm. then there are the ones that are not concave, but the ones that are uh, there. Um, I've never seen one that was flat. Do they have ones that are flat as well? Yeah, concave, convex, flat. All the the three ways mirrors come. You pretty much see everything, and then many times you'll see the trigram uh, around the outside, which it comes from. Um, the I Ching, uh, which would have to be a whole nother, uh, session on that. <laughs> but, um. Oh, you do the I Ching too. <laughs> well, that's where the trigrams come. You know, it's interesting to study the I Ching, the book of change, right? Because that's what doesn't change is change. It always, we're always changing. So, uh, mm-hmm. having that understanding, but each of the mirrors have a different property. Mm-hmm. So, if it's concave, then it draws things in. If it's convex, so it's more like a hubcap kind of outward, yes. then it pushes things away. Um, if it's flat, then you can kind of, through your empowering it, you can either bring things in or push things away or reflect things. Mirrors have so many different things. That's why they're so common in feng shui because there's something that... Uh, um, has they're very versatile, mm. so they can be used in many ways. Uh, so it's kind of like, do you want to keep the negative energy away? Do you want to in draw in the positive energy? It depends what is around mm-hmm. and what you're, you know. So if you have like a nice forest outside, you might want to draw that energy in. But if you have like a lot of cars driving by, then you might want to push that energy away. So um, that and using. Um, your intuition, your mind, your speech, your prayers added into that um, object will empower it to do much more. So, because everything mm-hmm. holds energy, there it's in a sense it's kind of like a a magnet or a charging or a vessel. I think to think of things as vessels, and if you empower it, then the vessel is charged positively. If you you can. Uh, Sometimes vessels are negative, you know, and you mm-hmm. touch something and it feels like, like, it's like you get, rep- like magnets, you get repelled to certain things and then you're drawn to certain things or attracted mm-hmm. to certain things. We use the same terminology. So, um, mm. that everything has that. So when we line up when two things are similar, they may repel when things are lined up properly, north and south magnetic, then we have the attraction and that's why in some people it works, you know, we have feng shui vastu in people. So some people were just, wow, I'm so attracted to that person. Mm-hmm. And then, wow, that person, I don't know what it is, but I don't, you know, I just feel like I, I can't be in the same room with that person. So that's the attraction uh, repelling energy. And we have that not only with people, which are obviously alive, but everything has that energy. And so that's how we refer to things as alive because they have stories or experiences that interact with us to be alive or repelling, attracting, yeah. whatever. Oh, it's very interesting, though, where you said that, you know, you can actually place, you know, the, the, the intention in these mirrors. That I'd never heard of before, so that's wonderful. Yeah, that's a very important aspect. Yeah. It's like everything becomes sacred that way when we empower it to do a certain thing. Mm. Because 
when we have a ritual around uh, an item, so we, we empower it through the ritual, then we remember that story. That's changing the story. And so we can adjust the story sometimes by through ritual. Rituals are so powerful. Uh, we have rituals that we do every day. The simplest, you know, is brushing our teeth. We, we do that, you know. Uh, but it's nice to have conscious rituals where we have um, prayers. Prayers is a great way, even just affirmations, you know, things, simple things like St. Francis, you know, prayer of uh, just wanting to be in nature and serving in that way mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. such a powerful thing because it connects us with all other people, thousands of other people that have been saying that prayer past history thousands of years of people or hundreds of years of people saying that mm-hmm. and so and it brings us into the present moment so because we're hopefully in our heart not just rope roping rope repeating something but from our inner being that we're experiencing the feeling of that and then moving that feeling from our hearts into that object and mm. uh, it's a very very wonderful way to to empower and charge our our home and our lives that way. Mm, beautiful, beautiful, definitely. Take that uh, and put it into some use here. Um, okay. uh, Vaskar, so, so when, I mean, you, you continue to practice this, these oh, yes. art forms. Now, yes. uh, who can people call upon you? I mean, do you still go to homes and businesses and? You know, how, how, how have you been working these days? Yeah, lately I've been kind of taking a little bit of a sabbatical as far as teaching my classes and things like that. Uh, so I'm, uh, just, uh, really happy doing, uh, less and finding greater joy in that. So people can email me if they have questions or things like that. Um, I don't have, uh, like I said, I'm not giving any classes. So sometimes I'm happy to help people on a more individual basis if they're eager for that to happen that way. Right. So, so, uh, do you feel that you'll be uh, starting to teach again? Because this is so, such a vast, my gosh, I mean, it's like, it, it seems to go on and on because I, I'm, do you feel like you're still learning as time is going on? That's the wonderful thing about these, yeah. this art is, it's a lifetime learning process, you know, mm. so uh, I'll, I know that I'll be learning the rest of my life. And so it's, you know, it's learning and sharing and finding the balance between those mm. that, that, you know, that works well. So, mm. so we have to get you teaching again. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what, uh, you know, sometimes the nature uh, and that's what feng shui wind and, and uh, water, those that describes nature. You know, nature's is what is a big influence in our lives. You know, mm-hmm. the subtle energies. So we'll see where the subtle energy takes us. I'm, you know, happy to uh, respond to whatever comes that way. And so I felt like for a while I needed to be on sabbatical and just uh, go within and learn more on my own. But uh, you know, I'm not. I'm certainly uh, not adverse to uh, teaching again, but uh, it's like when the time comes, then it will be right for that to happen. So I'm happy to be able to share uh, this little bit with you today, and uh, we'll see how things go from here. Oh, very exciting. Very exciting. Um, just like uh, uh, one more question. 
have you run into other cultures that have a form of this geomancy? Almost all cultures have this form, mm. which is really fascinating. Uh, and religions, too. You know, it's very fascinating. It's like the Jewish religion that alters, you know, the the Torah is always on the east side of the temple. There's uh, geomancy in, in England is very strong. You know, where the churches are located are all on sacred spots. You know? mm. um, there's almost every culture has a certain amount. Some of it is more clear some of it's just little bits here and there it's been lost in uh you know for different reasons but uh i see it almost everywhere i go and uh you know even to what you say what you started with is superstition well people lose it because once it becomes superstition then the next generations you know like you might your parents might have understood it they might have just told you what to do, and they expected you to do that. And then the next generation may not do what you told them because it, things have evolved in a different way. That they mm-hmm. want that information is so important now, and understanding is so important. So if we don't empower them, then that art form becomes lost. And uh, so it's it's uh, nice. I mean, basically, we it started from seeing who was successful, who was dominant what was going on in their lives and then duplicating that and seeing if that those people changed in their life mm-hmm. so once that was duplicated then wow they started to be successful and things started being very harmonious in their life and they said okay well this therefore is a a positive thing and you know so it, over generations and generations it developed that way mm. <laughs> this is wonderful we had a quick comment here Thank you. I'll be going home today to mix things up a bit. You've lit a fire under me. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Well, that's one. You know, if we feel stuck, the best thing is to move things around, shift things up. There you so. go. I just want a big dumpster so I can just throw it out the window. <laughs> the issue these days is you have to shred everything. That's the next, you know, it's like I've got shredding piles. That you know. It's too funny. Oh. Yeah. So, thank you so much, Vescar. This has just been a, a, a small moment into your art. And I know it's a very, very minute bit that you've shared with us today. So, hopefully, um, uh, you know, you would consider coming back and having a longer chat on, on maybe something even more specific with us. Sure, that would be, be wonderful. Thank you, Vescar. Thank you, Christina. I would like to thank also each and every one of you for joining us on this new platform of education information. We're grateful for your continuous support and look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. We invite you to join us live on Tuesdays for Magical Medical Tour at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1.30 Eastern Time. Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Followed every other week with Flowing into Awareness with Anatara. Remember, you can also be in contact with Beskar Deva at AbundantWellBeing.com. Until then, namaste. Namaste.